Hello, this is Stacy, one of your hosts. I just wanted to take a moment to remind you about this episode, episode 6. And episode 6 is about pregnancy and infant loss. Some of you might be sensitive to the topics that will be discussed. Also, we use technical terms that some of you may not be comfortable with younger viewers hearing. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Coffee and Catholics, a Catholic women's talk show podcast. I'm Stacy, one of your hosts, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Alicia. And I'm Noelle. I'm Annie. And I'm Lauren. Together, we talked a little bit about natural family planning, and we're going to kind of extend that conversation because this is October, um, and October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about our experiences with that and also with infertility and secondary infertility issues. Um, so I am a one in four because as the statistic that is one one in every four women have had a miscarriage or have lost a child and I have lost two so I have four living children and two little saints in heaven and I'll be sharing my story here in just a little bit but is there anybody else who has had that same experience of losing a child I I have one little saint in heaven this is Lauren um, yeah, I've had one uh, miscarriage. Um, I've, I've talked about it in previous episodes. I lost the baby in October of 2019. Uh, I was, oh gosh, I can't remember. I think I was like eight or nine weeks along when I found out um, that I had lost the baby. And I, I knew that there was something wrong. Like when the first ultrasound that I went to, I think it was like the six-week ultrasound. They, you know, did the ultrasound and I could tell that the baby was way too small. Like it just didn't look right. And so they kind of, I don't know, it was, it was kind of a, an uncomfortable and like, I just didn't really know what I was getting into, I guess, because they were very vague about what was going on. Um, they were just like, okay, well, you know, we're going to check your progesterone levels. And so they did that and they're like, okay, well, you know, we're going to put you on progesterone, but they didn't make it seem like that was really this big deal at all. I think maybe she was trying to like spare me from panicking or something. I don't know. But so like, as I'm leaving the office, I'm like, oh, okay, well maybe it's not that big of a deal. And then like, as the week is going on, I'm getting a bit more nervous and a bit more nervous. Like, okay, well, I've not ever had to be on progesterone before. This is my fourth pregnancy. And, um, you know, I finally go and I was a bit nervous. And then, you know, when they did the ultrasound. I, you know, saw the baby and it was just tiny and there was nothing there. Like, I mean, you could just tell that it was gone and she said it and see like, Oh, I gotta breathe before I start crying. But, um, you know, she said that the baby was gone and I just burst into tears and my husband was crying and, you know, we went out to the car and my mother-in-law was um, waiting with the kids in her car. She had taken them for the appointment. And like, I just hid behind the chair in my car so that she couldn't see me because I just didn't want anybody looking at me. I didn't want the pity eyes. I didn't want any of it. Like I was feeling very hostile at that point, I think. I guess after that, like another thing that I went into, like the, the actual miscarriage process, like actually, you know, passing everything. I didn't really know what to expect either. 
because, and I, I don't know if this is indicative of a lot of OBs, but she didn't really tell me exactly what to expect. She said that there would be some cramping and there would be some bleeding if it bled this, if I bled this much, then, you know, call or whatever. And she would give me a call and let me know. And she did eventually, like, I think within the week she called me up just to, you know, check on how I was doing, which I really appreciated. But I didn't realize how much bleeding would happen. And um, I'm going to get a little graphic here, but <laughs> when I fell asleep and I woke up and I was having some pretty severe cramping and I go to the bathroom and I feel like a gush and I go to, the, I, you know, sit down on the toilet and a blood clot the size of my hand comes out of me. I thought I was dying. Like I thought that, like <laughs> I really thought that I was going to die. And I called up the, you know, OB and I'm just shaking and there's, I mean, there's blood everywhere. And I, you know, ask her what's going on. She goes, oh, no, that's okay. That's totally fine. You know, just, you know, if it happens again, you know, let us know. And if you, you know, bleed this much over this period of time, call us. And I was like, oh, okay. But I think not knowing like how much I was going to bleed and how painful it was going to be. Um, I think that was really kind of like added to the trauma of the whole thing. And um, so, you know, with this pregnancy, I'm uh, 19 weeks now. And it's getting a little better, but especially in the beginning, like every time I went to the bathroom, I expected there to be blood and it freaked I me out. That. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, like, like I said, like, you know, with each passing week, it gets a little bit easier, but it's kind of always on the back of your mind. I recently read about somebody who lost their baby at 20 weeks and I'm almost there and I'm just like, oh, please God. Like, you know, I know this baby is a gift to me. Ultimately, this is your baby. It's only mine because you gifted him, to him or her to me. But, you know, just one, don't let this baby die, please. <laughs> but two, if you allow it, like, you know, give me the grace to handle it because uh, I can't imagine because, you know, that time I couldn't find the baby. It was so small and had, you know, it was obviously way smaller than even that six-week ultrasound was. Um, so I couldn't find the baby. I found, like, the 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 amniotic sac, mm -hmm. um, but I couldn't find the baby. And that was really one really hard thing. I don't know if anybody else has experienced it, but like I knew that I flushed my baby down the toilet and that was killer for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I didn't say that for a really long time because it just hurt too bad. But with this one, you know, if something happened, Lord forbid, and I try not to think about it, but you know, I could actually hold the baby. And I, th I think that would be harder in a way. But anyways, so that was kind of, I guess the the negatives. God did work in beautiful ways in my life, but I'll let somebody else talk, so I'm not just taking up the whole time. <laughs> can I can but. I just ask you, Alicia, uh -huh. what um, when you had the ultrasound and you were, you know, you realized that you had lost the baby, or that you know, not you had lost the baby, but that the baby <laughs> was no longer growing. Did they? Did you have to go like out a back door at the ultrasound place? Yes. So, what was that process like for you? Because I've heard several women say it feels like a walk of shame to go out the back door, that it's, it's just a weird feeling. And mm -hmm. what would be like a better way to handle that? Um, thing I want to say, like, first of all, in case my doctor ever listens to this and she finds out who I am, like she's a great <laughs> OB. She really is. She's very caring. She's very considerate. I just think there are some things that, you know, could have happened that didn't happen. But um, with that, you know, like she sat in the room with me and she listened to everything I had to say. And she told me it wasn't my fault. No matter what I thought, it was not my fault because I was thinking, you know, I didn't sit down enough. I didn't drink enough water. I picked up my kids too much or whatever else. And, you know, she assured me that that wasn't it. Just it happens, you know, chromosomal abnormalities or whatever, you know, progesterone. And, um, you know, I'm, you know, bawling my eyes out, you know, snot and all and 
she said that, um, I guess it was like, it was more of a suggestion than it was like a, you know, well, you know, there's the back door. I know that you're really emotional right now. You know, you can go out the back door if you want to, just so that you don't have to, you know, go through everybody, you know, crying so you can have more privacy. Mm. And I really appreciated that. So for me, it wasn't really a walk of shame. It was an option and I I appreciated that option. Mm. So, and I want to apologize too, because one of the things we've been talking a lot about is the language that we use. And I think that, me defaulting to societal like oh I lost the baby or you know that's not good language I think that that diminishes women's and and it like I think it can marginalize women who feel that they can't share this story you know that we tend to blame ourselves for things so I want to apologize for for using that language I think it's just um I think it's a hard thing when we are trying to deal with a loss but really realizing like the, your, what you said, that the Lord has given us the gift of a child. The Lord is ultimately the author of life and death. And so if we're called to give that child back, that's kind of, you know, every mother's worst nightmare. Um, but I think that we have to be careful about the language that we use. So um, just as we go along, if there's something that would be helpful for people to keep in mind when we're talking about this, that maybe haven't experienced that, if you could share that too. If you well, that. One of the things is. that, you know, I started running after my second child was born to fight postpartum depression. And so I was running with my second, my second loss. My doctor blamed my running. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so basically told me that it was probably my fault because he didn't think that women should be running. Oh my goodness. Women run all the time. I mean, not me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that was just kind of my own little stab back. I did run the whole time with my next, at least the next six months with Mm -hmm. my next baby, and she was born just fine. Yeah, so there there are some Hobies out there, unfortunately, that don't have very good bedside manner when it comes to the loss of a child. I was in that ultrasound by myself. So first, you know, my other, my two oldest, they always had a hard time finding their heartbeats. So me going back to an ultrasound to check for a heartbeat was not uncommon. Um, so when they couldn't find the heartbeat and we went back to the room for them to do the ultrasound, my husband hadn't come with me to that appointment because, oh, we've done this with two other kids. We've done this before. Um, and he had some work at work to do. And he's like, call me after your appointment. And I was like, okay. Well, we go back there, and the OB tells me that he can't find a heartbeat, and he called an associate in to double-check, and she said she couldn't find a heartbeat, and then they said they were sorry and sent me on my way. Wow. And he did tell me, like, well, you have options of, like, a DNC or delivering naturally. Let us know which one you want. And then I was out the door. Wow. Wow. And I just wonder if maybe... um there's a need for like to have just a, an on-staff grief-trained nurse, or even like sort almost sort of like a death doula, if that makes sense, for when these yeah. things happen. So that the main job of that person is to sit with you and just feel with you, be present, witness that, even mm-hmm. cry with you. I realize that's not the job of the OBs, but I feel like this is a huge problem, and it's very common. And yeah. 
are we serving women or not? You know, mm-hmm. like this is right. a yeah. gap, a gap. I've Anybody? heard of doulas that do mm-hmm. that, but I, there's, there's not many. Yeah. Yeah. I've Something heard of, like that. Like there's a training. I've heard of some who yeah. have training for that. I just, it's not a common um, thing you hear yeah. about and it should be, it should be mm-hmm. more um, accessible. If any of you know of programs that are like that, or if you yourself are in that, please talk to us, comment, let us know what that's like. What I mean, if you know of anything about some sort of program like that, I would love to know more and to have that as a resource to offer women since yeah. it's not being offered at the offices currently. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. so I called my husband and I was bawling over the phone and, um, went over to my parents' house and he met me over there because it was closer to his work than our home. And um, we were sitting in my parents' dining room and he was like, so what do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, we say we're pro-life. I want to do what we would do for any any of our loved ones. Decided right then to plan a funeral. And um, so we started calling her, you know, we called a priest that was really close to us and asked him what he thought because we still had to make the DNC or the natural mm-hmm. um, delivery decision. And um, we consulted um, another friend who very close who had gone through a miscarriage. And, and so we decided to go with the DNC. But so we started calling funeral homes and cemeteries to find out you know, where to bury our child. And one of the first places we called was a Catholic cemetery. And they were very, very accommodating when we told them that we had a child. We just lost a child. And then they asked us how old our child was. And we said, I was 12 weeks along in my pregnancy. And their tone totally changed. They're like, oh, we have this separate area in our um, cemetery where we put unborn children I was like but I have family buried at your cemetery I would like the baby to be Mm -hmm. with family Mm -hmm. and um they were kind of reluctantly willing to listen to me on that uh, Mm -hmm. um part but you could tell that that wasn't the norm and that they I felt like I was taking up their time like they being nice about it if that makes any sense Um, eventually we decided to go with a country, um, cemetery that my, some of my husband's family is buried at and cost is ridiculous. And, you know, and then there was other family issues because, you know, to have a whole other plot was going to cost like astronomical amounts at the original cemetery we called and, um, so we were talking about different options of like burying the baby with my grandmother or, ba- you know, and then that started some family things because then, you know, relatives that weren't sure that they wanted, I was like, well, we're not excavating grandma because right. <laughs> adding the baby into the same plot. Mm-hmm. And, right. and so, um, the country cemetery was more reasonable. They were just like, sure. And, but it was just kind of shocking to me that here we are, we're Catholic, and I call a Catholic cemetery for help in this time. And I'm told to put my baby in a mass grave with other babies. It was hard. And, you know, when I got pregnant again with our daughter, um, my husband for a long time wasn't sure if he was ready to have another kid because he didn't know he, if he could handle going through all right. of that again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. Well, it's a mental health need too. You know, I, anxiety is never good for a pregnancy. And, and, you know, so even if you, uh, were able to have another pregnancy and things were going well, but you're still carrying that anxiety because you haven't processed that pain. Um, that's going to be calm, you know, further complication for you, for your family. And, so it seems like it is a medical thing. We're, we're not just talking about this from, oh, it's just spiritual. We need somebody to talk to us about, you know, that that God is taking care of our babies. It's you know, This is also mental health, and it's going to affect the physical health of proceeding mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's kind of surprising, the lack of support, because, you know, there's a culture out there that that's not a baby. I had a close family member probably said it best that um to another family member that it's not about what we think it's that stacy feels that that's her baby Mm -hmm. and we need to be supporting her and so like whether you think a baby is a baby in the womb or not Mm -hmm. you you should still be supporting women who are grieving a loss well and i mean i think that kind of that culture, that, you know, secular culture that you're talking about that, um, you know, doesn't see a child in the womb as a baby or a human being or whatever else. I think that, you know, people, how can I say this? You know, there's there's a lot of Catholics in the world, but there are so many who kind of go along with that secular belief, you know? And I mean, it, you know, it's... I think it just seeps in. You don't even realize it. It seeps Mm -hmm. in because, I mean, everybody's at a different place in their lives. And, you know, there's everything from, like, the very, very devout Catholics or whatever who are saints to the people who are kind of, like, culturally Catholic. And they just kind of throw out the Catholic cards sometimes and, like, everybody in between. And, um, you know, so I think that, you know, kind of that the secular kind of mindset or whatever that I don't want to say anti-life. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but that, you know, just not pro-life kind of mindset or whatever. Like, I think that you know, it kind of seeps into people um, because, I don't know, secular culture can be so potent, I guess. So I think that that, um, that mindset, like if, if somebody, if they were to, the secular culture, like they, if we were to fully acknowledge that the baby in the womb, like, is a child, it would just break down what they're, like, trying to fight for. So that's why there's like so much of a stigma still again you know in um acknowledging that this is truly you know a child who has you know that's been loved and and so i think that's why it's so important for us to just keep talk like to mm-hmm. make it um like normalize it yeah normal mm-hmm. like and, and, and to acknowledge that women are suffering yes yes Mm-hmm. And that they're wounded and like this is hurting them. And if we're just ignoring these children, then we're ignoring women. Right. Especially in the Catholic world, there's just no excuse for this kind of disconnect. Like what you're describing. Right. I mean, we go to bat for babies in the womb all the time in the life ministries and in, you know, in the pro-life work that we do. And to not acknowledge the, the wholeness of a baby when a woman has a miscarriage in the ways that you're describing, Stacey, is absolutely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be demanded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is just my, my activist side coming in, <laughs> that that be acknowledged, especially in the church and especially in Catholic families. My first miscarriage, I didn't grieve a lot. This baby, it would destroy my heart because we worked so hard for this baby. We've had to fight so hard for this baby. And I love this kid. 
you know, if I lost this kid, I, this is my child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't care that he's only 10, 11, week six. It doesn't matter. That's mm-hmm. a baby. I saw his heartbeat. There's no excuse for us not supporting that and getting behind women and saying, this has got to be acknowledged. And for a long time, nobody talked about it because it's just like you said, you didn't want the pity eyes. Mm -hmm. Our response needs to be something besides the pity eyes. Let's talk about that among ourselves. Not here tonight, obviously. We don't have time for that. But what can we do to to support each other more? What would have been better for you? Mm -hmm. What would have felt right for you? You know, like nobody wants to be pitied. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's well, and I will say, I mean, I know that we don't have time to talk about every aspect of it, but I think rather than the pity eyes, like one thing that helped me was like, you know, when I had certain people come up to me and they asked me questions about how I felt, yeah. you know what I mean? Just that acknowledgement. Yeah. And like you were talking about Stacy, just, you know, even if you, and these people do, they're very, very pro-life, but you know, even if you don't think that that's a baby inside the womb. Like, look at the person who's suffering. Look at that mm-hmm. woman that's in front of you, you know. And, um, you know, I kind of relate the whole, you know, just not really, I guess some people not really caring whether or not, like, a woman has a miscarriage to kind of, like, a pro-choice type culture. Because, you know, if a woman wants to, like, have an abortion, for example, then it's all about the woman and, you know, how the woman feels and what she's going through and her circumstances, which, you know, I think everybody in the pro-life, you know, world, like, would and should, you know, say that those those things matter, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, kind of like the baby is exempt from any kind of acknowledgement or whatever, and the focus is only put on the woman. But then when a woman has a miscarriage and she's suffering, mm-hmm. the woman's feelings don't matter anymore because that baby, they don't think the baby was a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I ever experienced, per se, that with my miscarriage, well, I hate saying my miscarriage. This is the, the terminology you're talking about, which by the way, Noelle, you don't have to worry about that. You don't offend <laughs> me or anything. Yeah. But um, like, I don't like saying my miscarriage because it's just too personal, I guess. Like mm-hmm. the miscarriage that I had is, mm-hmm. is better. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, I think mostly it was just the thing that hurt most from people was just like that they just didn't acknowledge it. It was people close to me who just didn't say a word about it and I understood like for some people it was just you know it's awkward you don't know what to say um you know you don't know how to support that person so you just don't and you kind of shy away from that and I've done that myself so you know like I realized after a while you know like I got to take that beam out of my eye Mm -hmm. and you know as I'm looking at them and being like you know angry at them or whatever for not saying something like I've been there I've done that but Mm -hmm. um so relating back to what you were saying Lauren like I think just you know asking you know how are you like you know I know that you this happened you know a month ago or you know whatever like how are you doing you know Mm -hmm. you know just to to open up that line of communication because I think I had a couple of people who would do that and it was just so refreshing just to know that like because it is like I don't know for you guys but I just felt so incredibly alone like my husband was there but he didn't understand it the way that I did Mm -hmm. and no one else did because it was my baby Mm -hmm. that I lost and um yeah it's just it's it felt so incredibly alone no matter and I mean you know Stacy was awesome she was you know told me that she was willing to listen to me and she did a couple of times I always felt guilty but (laughs) I'm like we're having a great time here now I'm gonna get all depressed but um but see, that's the problem. Why do we feel guilty? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's there's something in our society that just, we're just so uncomfortable with pain mm-hmm. and with things that we can't control. 
and we just, you know, there's just a lot of stigmas. Like you should never feel guilty. There's a stigma right there. All these things that we're experiencing are just things we have to address. Well, and you, you all talked a lot about kind of the aftermath, you know, trying to find funeral and burial resources, but also there's the preventative measure. Okay, we need more medical professionals willing to walk that path with us that says, well, how do we restore the reproductive system to make it the optimum environment for another pregnancy? And a lot of uh, doctors just kind of like, well, that's just part of life. That's just what happens. But that's one thing I appreciate. You know, we've kind of dogged on on the the post care, unfortunately, of of our Catholic care, but that the Catholic Church is really pioneering in napro technology yeah. and trying to trying to help women to have that restorative reproductive health care to deal with things like secondary infertility and you know repeated miscarriage and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was one thing too. You know, we had decided to go with the DNC. But I was never really informed on what kind of complications could come from that later on. I mean, there's complications if you don't have one because you might end up having one anyways mm-hmm. if your body doesn't, you know, clear out. But, you know, there's also scarring that's associated with the DNC. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the issues we had with my daughter, who was my pregnancy after um, the ba- after Angel, um, was... Uh, I had placenta previa, Mm -hmm. so um, because of the scar tissue, Mm -hmm. she had implanted lower, and so um, ended up she the placenta moved up, and that wasn't going. She ended up being a C-section anyways, but a C-section was a big part of that was a possibility throughout my whole pregnancy because of the scarring that happened Mm -hmm. during my DNC, and so. I think sometimes people think we just know because we're women and we're supposed to just know. And I think that's also kind of what we talked about in the NFP uh, episode that we that we talked about getting young women to understand their bodies and understanding what happens during even mis- miscarriages and pregnancies and how impl- implantation happens. And I know that some people are like, well, that happens in the sex ed classes. Oh, well, yeah, you right. know, the, your parents <laughs> can exempt you from those. <laughs> and, um, which my mom did. And cause she was <laughs> expecting me to get it from the church. And then our youth group stopped doing their program, you know, when I was that age. And so I, I never got, you know, I got my biology class. I mean, I did my biology class in high school, and so I knew like how everything functioned, but I didn't know what to experience, what to expect, in any of those experiences. I learned from my friends, <laughs> which was really yeah. not a good source of information. But that's where I learned it. <laughs> I, did, so. I didn't know what cervical mucus was until I was going through marriage prep. Right. So I didn't either, and I was so grossed out. I was like, "Why yeah. are y'all talking about this?" Well, this is a really good time to plug something that I think is super important: is um, teaching girls awareness of their mm. cycles yes. and their body. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly empowering for a teenage girl who's struggling with up and down emotions to know because she's charting that I'm going to feel better in a couple of days. You know, I always do. This is a rough time. I don't need to do anything that I want to do right now that I know I shouldn't do because I'm lonely because this is going to pass in a few days. It's, it's an incredibly yeah. empowering um, sort of a path paving for virtue to know what's going on in your body and progesterone, which is the main culprit here in miscarriages. We think <laughs> so far what we know we're learning more every day about it. 
is a hugely important uh, hormone in a woman's body, starting from when she's even starting before she menstruates, but certainly once she begins to have a regular cycle, it can affect well-being. It affects general health for women. I mean, this is something that girls should know what progesterone is, how it affects them when it dips in their cycle on into womanhood, because it it helps you to know that when that progesterone (laughs) tanks, you're going to feel really yucky. (laughs) And, you know, that's where we get the whole PMS thing, okay? Like, Mm -hmm. even to pinpoint a potential problem early on. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Instead of masking it with birth control, which is exactly what happens when these teenagers are having struggles with their cycles. Mm -hmm. They're sent to the doctor and they're put on birth control pills. It's not explored. It's not like, well, they're too young. (laughs) <laughs> we need more work here in this area. Yeah. And it's like he said, neighbor technology is just paving the way. Every day, new discoveries, looking more into it, trying to help women, like you said, restore that order that God has, you know, given us that gets mucked around with for whatever reason in our society and in our world and just our bodies. Mm-hmm. But um, I just think we need to know more. Like you said, people just expect us to know what's mm-hmm. happening like we just know what's going on in our bodies and yeah nope <laughs> you even mentioned progesterone i didn't even know about i mean i mean i had heard about it but i didn't right. know what it did until i had postpartum depression and i didn't want to be medicated and so i went to i didn't go to my ob i found a postpartum counselor and she um, recommended supplements and um not uh is progesterone oils, essential oils. And I was like, why? She's like, because your body loses all of that when you have a baby. I was like, oh, and she was really great. And I didn't know. You know, everybody just assumes that you know. And I had no idea. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say our bodies are way more complicated than men's. Yeah. <laughs> I think men would agree with that. Like, they're crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like after, you know, I had, um, I miscarried. See the terminology. I struggle with it still. But after, um, I don't know, I miscarried Philomena. Like, you know, like I've talked about it before, um, you know, I had a very normal cycle, very regular cycle before that pregnancy. And then after that miscarriage, like it just went all over the place. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on with my body at yeah. all. And I was really confused. And we definitely, they, she told, my OB told me that they wanted me to wait, um, I think until after my first cycle to um, try again before I could get pregnant again, which I didn't know why. I didn't ask at the time because it was right when I was told that I had miscarried. And um, so, I just wasn't a, a thought on my mind, so I'm thinking like you know if I if I get pregnant beforehand, I can you know higher potentiality of miscarrying again or something you know just mm-hmm. you know that fear that sets in. Um, come to find out, that's not it. They just you know from what I understand at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it's for charting purposes to know when mm-hmm. you actually you know conceived or or whatever aroundabouts. Yeah, my husband and I we didn't know what was going on, and we were worried about me getting pregnant again and you know problems and such, and so. Um, that's when we contacted the local Creighton instructor and it was great because, you know, she, you know, talked to me about it and she was very sympathetic about the, the miscarriage and, you know, the, the whole point of Creighton is to figure out like what's going on with your cycle, 
um, you know, so that you can understand it better. So it's not quite so confusing. And um, also she told us that, you know, if, if we wanted to, you know, we kept on charting, then we can take it to a NAPRO doctor so that they can figure out what's going on with, you know, why did I miscarry? And, you know, um, they're much more, from what I understand, they're much more progesterone friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, my OB with this one, she told me that, you know, I, I progesterone that I was taking is the transvaginal one, that it's much more localized, so it's more effective than doing it orally. But then in the same vein, she, like in the same conversation, she said that she prescribes progesterone, so like we feel like we're doing something. And I was like, oh, no. I'm confused. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, which one is it? It's like a prenatal? Like, is that where right. I don't, yeah, just, I, oh I my placebo. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wasn't really sure. Do you know sure. how it works? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really oh, no. sure. So I don't know if it's just that people, like, you know, there's, you know, different opinions in the medical field about what yeah. progesterone does big, and big whatnot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. but I don't know what that stems from. But anyways, yeah, so that was really nice. But even with the, for me, even with the Creighton, well, one of the reasons why I quit it was because, one, it didn't click with me, like, to figure out if I had stretchy or what was it? <laughs> I don't even remember the other terms, but all this mucus Tacky. or whatever. I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what it's called. I'm done. And especially just like, you know, I was kind of wanting another baby. And the only reason why I was doing this was because I lost a baby. Like it was really hard to go through that every, like, and just struggle with the method every single day, mm. you know? And so I just yeah. called it quits and then come to find out I wasn't I was really kind of wanting a baby. I was just, I don't know why. I was just like part of it. Like I didn't, I didn't want a baby because I, I, you know, that pain or whatever from losing that baby. And I wanted that baby. I wanted Philomena. I didn't want another baby, but I don't know. Part of me wanted, wanted to get pregnant again, but, um, it was another like three months, I think before I got pregnant. And that was so hard. Like that was only a tiny stint. I know some women go through (laughs) a lot longer. (laughs) Um, and so I can't imagine the pain of that, but just that three months was just like heartache just waiting and waiting and every month like you know that negative pregnancy test but and it's just a silent suffering you know it's not like we talk about this stuff it's just we just bear it like it's just Mm -hmm. yeah because even with the husbands like or the the significant others like you know he was definitely open to me talking to him about it but i know that it hurt him every single time you know feel powerless yeah he he is and he's inner fixers Exactly. He wanted to fix it. Right. There was no way to fix this. And I'm like, you know, I'm devastated. And so I just didn't really talk to him much about it. And then, you know, like you're talking about, there's uh, for some reason that mental block of like, I felt guilty. Like I wanted to talk to Stacy, but I had already talked to her about it. So I didn't want to bother her so again. So you used up your quota. I mean, this is the kind of stuff yeah. that we just have to really uncover and mm-hmm. start peeling these layers off. Yeah. Well, I even think that we need to also acknowledge that women grieve different losses differently mm-hmm. because, you know, you know, I, after I lost Angel, then I felt guilty that I didn't honor Gabriel the same way because Gabriel was the first baby we lost. But those losses were different, and so my grieving was different. And it took me a while to come to terms with that. And I think that I hear a lot of us right now talking about language and how this to, you know, support women who are grieving and things. That, and I think one of those things is just, you know, in supporting is allowing them to grieve in their own way. So if they want to talk about it, let them talk about it. But mm-hmm. if they've decided not to, because right. I didn't mm-hmm. talk about my first loss, mm-hmm. my parents didn't even know that we had lost a baby until I lost Angel. Mm-hmm. And so I I'd had two living children before they even knew about our first loss. And so 
Um, and it wasn't necessarily that I didn't want to talk about. I didn't know how to talk about it. But mm -hmm. I think that, that it took me a long time to realize that that was okay. It was okay not to know how to talk about it. It was okay to not know how to process it. And I actually think that that's one of the beautiful things that came out of the loss of Angel is that I realized my sense of loss with the first loss, if that makes any sense. I was able to process that a little bit better. I, I think about women who are dealing with infertility or secondary infertility issues and sometimes feel like they have to silently endure. Mm -hmm. And um, if that's a choice... As, you know, that's one thing. But if they're looking for somebody, I think that we need to be open and let people know that it's okay to talk about. I have several friends who have either experienced infertility or secondary infertility, and people come up to them all the time. Well, it's okay. You can always try for another. Oh, and no. I'm just. <laughs> and these, I'm willing to bet these are good church going folks who yeah. are just. And that's okay. Look, it. We're not trying to like penalize every word yeah. that comes out of people's mouths. But <laughs> this is again where this this disconnect mm -hmm. in the Catholic mindset of would you say that to somebody that just buried their stillborn? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, but right. it's we have to figure out how to change that mindset. You know, like it's just they're so trying hard. to be helpful, but yeah. that's why I'm like, yeah. so but, but somebody told me, Well, you're the most fertile right after your miscarriage. Just that somebody oh. told me that, oh. and because it is, it's, it's like a, it feels like a dismissal because yeah. I had comments sort mm -hmm. of like that, mm -hmm. but it's like almost like a dismissal of the baby that you had mm -hmm. because it can be replaced. And yeah. I know I don't know that they mean it like that, they're no. really trying they to help you feel better, they, do. right. they don't yeah. know what to say, and this is why. When we were, when you brought up, you know, like, what do you do to help somebody? This is why I'm like, just ask questions. Like, Rather ask talk, them ask how, questions. yeah, don't offer advice. Don't do anything like that. Like, right. how I feel about it. Like, just ask, how are you? Yeah. You know, like, are you, you know, are you still aff affected by this? I don't know. Like, you know, how are you still affected by this? Is You know, what can I do? Can I pray with you? Mm -hmm. If that's, you know, something that yeah. you do. And um, I think that's so much more helpful. Somebody mm -hmm. said to me, treat her the same way as if she was giving birth. You would take her meals. You would ask how she's doing. You would check in on her. You would, you know, maybe offer to clean her house or whatever it is. They, they said those kinds of acts of service help her to be able to focus on, you know, like a new mom focuses on her new baby and adjusting to the new baby. Well, this gives her the chance to focus on grief, on being able to not have to worry about the house, not have to worry about meals, but just to be able to focus on her grief. And I, some, some people may be more private, so you need to check with them, obviously. But mm -hmm. um, I thought that was an interesting point that you know, all of a sudden, then the celebration's gone. And it's like, that. what does that do? That kind of isolates you even more, mm -hmm. rather than say, hey, I, let me send pizza for you guys tonight, or something like that. Yeah. And I'd wish that I had known what, you know, I have a, I have a very close friend who um, lost a baby in labor. And I didn't know what to do. I prayed for them, and, and I just, it, when it happened, I I feel like I dropped off the face of the planet. Like, I was not a very good friend, because I just didn't know how to address it. I didn't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. I'm not very good with addressing other people's grief. I, I feel like I've gotten a little bit, hopefully, a little bit better. But um, I just didn't know what to do. 
and to, you know, here later, you know, years later, how they had to take back all the baby things to the store that from the baby showers and and things like that. It's just I we don't know how people what people have to deal with, and so like you said, just asking them. And I think praying for them or asking, would you like us to bring a meal over or um, just offering up a service? They don't have to accept it, obviously, but I think the offer speaks volumes. Well, and I will say, too, like for anybody who has recently gone through this or you've gone through it and you haven't processed it over the years or you know, whatever the case may be, like one thing that was so helpful for me was just, and I won't say that I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn by any means, but like, you know, just trying to persist in your relationship with God. Um, because I really had a day after, I don't know how long after the miscarriage, it was very shortly after the miscarriage, but like I told God I was done with him. Mm-hmm. I didn't want him in my life anymore. Um, he betrayed me and I was, yeah. I was out and I, you know, I wasn't coming back and I was just so angry and I lasted for like half a day. <laughs> my husband had to come and get the kids and I was on my way to the grocery store cause I just like burst into tears and I couldn't drive cause I couldn't see. And, um, you know. I, as I think I was driving home, I was just praying, like, you know, I can't do it without you. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I need this peace back. I need this joy back that I had. And I realized that's selfish of me, that that's the reason why I want to come back to you. Um, And I wish I could find it a different way, honestly. But that's what I felt. But, you know, like, I I don't know how else to do it. Um, And so this is, this is where I'm at. I kind of just felt like I was between a hard rock and a hard place. And for me, that's the reason, I guess I didn't really persist in my faith, did I? But uh, that's the reason why I kind of came back. And then, like I've told you guys before about, you know, I prayed to Mary and that next morning that block was gone. I still felt betrayed, still felt hurt. Um, You know, the pain was still there, but I could finally pray again. And even after that, it was still, uh, I just... I don't know. I, I still had trust issues with God very mm-hmm. much. So, <laughs> um, won't lie about that, but, uh, I think it was, you know, um, and I, as again, I think I've said this before, um, when we've talked before, but when I, you know, realized that it wasn't all about me, I was saying, you know, why me, why me, why would you hurt me this way? Why would right. you take my baby away from me? And, you know, all this stuff when I realized like it wasn't all about me, like my baby, Philomena she has her own soul and her own purpose and mm-hmm. you know she's fulfilling that now with God and I could not be more proud of her mm-hmm. and thankful to God that she's there it's, it's a bittersweet kind of thing but it's become more sweet than it is bitter now mm-hmm. um I don't know just clinging to that you know like it's I realize it sounds it sounds so mean to say it but it's and I don't mean it in a bad way but just like I said it's not all about me it's not all about you it's it's your child as well and your God loves your child Mm -hmm. and you know God loves loves my baby and loves my baby and now I have this beautiful soul in heaven that I can talk to and I kind of had to stop talking to her for a bit because I tried every day I felt guilty (laughs) if I didn't talk to like you know spend a day not talking to her but I had to kind of take a step back and apologize to her and say I can't right now but you know I can go to her and I can pray to her and you know I ask God to just hold her and marry to hold her and Well, and he loves you too. You know, like we think, well, God loves our babies, and but God loves us too. Yes. And he can handle our anger tantrums. and our rage, our temper tantrums, our insults. You know, I've had those days, but you know, what, what I try to remember too is like, 
it's only when we turn our back and we shut him out that then we can't receive any kind of gift that he wants to give us because we have closed ourselves off like, I'm so mad I'm never speaking to him again. And and we walk away. Not that God still can't break through that. And I think that he does. But I, I also think that you know, go to him with that anger and with that pain. Don't keep it hidden. He sees it, mm-hmm. you know, just bring Have it to tangent. him and let Have him start. Tangent. Exactly. Let him start, you know, soothing like a father would, you know, soothe yeah. his, his and that's, child. That's what I learned in that whole, that's the whole situation was really how much I could just go to him and be like, you know, right now I do not like you mm-hmm. and I'm mad at you and mm-hmm. all this stuff and just lay it out on him because you know, like you said, he can handle that, but you're right. And I, I, re- I did realize I didn't say that, but he absolutely loves mm-hmm. the mama, I mean, and the dad. And, you know, you don't understand it at the time, and I still don't understand. I don't know why he allowed it to happen, but I see, oh, my gosh, so many beautiful things that have come from it. Right. And yes. just, like, and I still, you know, I still get to talk about her, which, you know, it just, uh, it warms my heart talking about her. I love talking about her. Um, but, yeah, like, it's, God is love. He's always love. He never turns away from that he never is anything different than that so i wish that everyone listening could see alicia's face yes <laughs> as we're she all like holding back tears right that's really daughter. hard <laughs> yeah it yeah. is a ministry her story and her words um because it, i don't know it's, it's when we tell our stories that these life-giving moments transfer. It's the very nature. The reason why humans exist is to transfer life. The Lord gives life, and we transfer it to one another, and we encourage one another. The grace comes through each other. These stories have to be told, and that's why we're doing this episode, because we all have either experienced this kind of suffering or we know someone that has experienced it and have walked through it with them, Maybe even experience it right now. I know that some of you are. I know that some of you are experiencing these things right now. And we want to hear from you. We want to know what are the words that helped you. What can we do to support you as women in this community? So that's just what we want (laughs) is for you to know you can talk to us. You can come here and comment and ask us questions. We want to know how you feel What can we do as the church to better serve women who are grieving and hurting um, and, or just, I don't know, just want to talk about it more. So please, this is one of these episodes where we really, really want your feedback. We really do want to hear from you. And I think that was probably a good place to stop at. So again, you know, this is a topic that is still taboo. It's, people feel like they can't talk about it. But we need to change that. And um, we hope that this is one of many steps towards healing. And, of course, of course, you know, Holy Spirit and God are there to guide us. And we hope that everybody can find the healing that they need. And as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Please join us again in two weeks when we celebrate October as the month of the rosary by discussing family prayer. Until then, may God bless you and may Mary accompany you.